I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask, as I have so many times, that as we uh, look into Scripture, as we seek to know the mind and the heart of God for us, that he will speak. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting that you're here today. You know, we're trying to decide, should we have one or two services on the 26th? I think we made the right decision, don't you? Um, but you're here for a reason. And uh, God is a sovereign God has brought you to this place. And I just trust that he has something that he wishes to speak into your life. And uh, as we pray, let's ask him to make that clear to each one of us. You know, God works. It's one of the amazing things about preaching. I can preach a sermon and some people fall asleep and other people are, other people are in tears. Other people can, a nice sermon, Chris, and other people, their lives have been transformed. I don't get that other than it's all up to the Spirit of God, what God does with what I say. And, you know, we all need to be open and receptive, but uh, my heart is today that you will really hear from God, and he'll bless you. So let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, we are thankful indeed that we are here. You have led us to this point in time to meet with us. And Lord, just as we have sung, uh, this, this faith, uh, the focus is not on us. It's not on our goodness and it's not on our badness, badness our, 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 our righteous acts or our sinful ones. It's entirely on you. And as we spoke Christmas Eve, Lord, it's about your love, <clears throat> that love that dwells in your heart for us. And it's about what you have done for us in Christ on the cross. And Lord, it's simply for us to receive from your hand the blessing uh, that you give to us. You come to us in, in Christ by your spirit and we are saved. Our eyes are open to see and to believe. We come to that place, Lord, where we recognize the things that are true in Scripture and our lives are changed by it. And all of that, not something we can accomplish on our own. It only happens because of the work of your Spirit in us. And for that, our God, we are thankful. And Lord, the, the fact that you've led us to this place today, we're thankful for it. And we're thankful for your word, the Scripture, this inspired and true book through which you reveal yourself and your mind and your heart and your will to us. So Lord, we come to this time of preaching and we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and by your spirit you will speak into each life in the way of your choosing. And we pray, Lord, that uh, this will be a time of, of hearing from you, a time of understanding your voice in our lives and, and a time then of being able to respond to it in faith, out of love for you. So bless us, we pray, Lord. Speak now. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have come to the end of the I Am series, so I told you before. But today is, if not the actual end of the seven I Am statements that Jesus made in John about himself, where he identified himself as the Son of God, as divine. <clears throat> Let's just call it a wrap-up. And I've been looking forward to this, this uh, sermon because um, really what it does is, is ask the question, what will we do with this revelation of Jesus, of himself to us? You know, for those seven weeks, Sunday mornings and Christmas Eve, we looked at Jesus saying to us, this is who I am. You know, and we've got this symbolized here, the shepherd, the gate, uh, you know, the bread and, and, and the vine and so forth. Each of them in their own way in that historical context with a theological understanding that everyone was aware of, was saying, through Jesus' lips, I am the Son of God. 
And I guess the question that, that we can grapple with is, what does it mean to you and to me? How do we respond to this? How do, how do we know what to do, if you would, in terms of taking these comments of Jesus, this truth of Jesus, and then applying them to our lives? I guess what my comment to you today essentially is, is if we take them seriously, it will have profound effect in our lives. Profound effect. You know, different people respond in different ways. Some people respond skeptically. A man named William Barclay, in a previous generation, a few generations ago, great biblical scholar, but he referenced some people who called Jesus in that day a megalomaniac. You know, you don't hear that word very much anymore. Anybody never heard that word? <laughs> Probably young people, younger people. But here's the definition of a megalomaniac. And some people thought then, and I suppose in, in Barclay's day, the same thing, the megalomania is a symptom of mental illness marked by the delusion of greatness. A, sy a symptom of mental illness marked by the delusion of greatness. You know, an exaggerated sense of self to the point of, can I put it this way, craziness? You know, some people in Jesus' day thought he was crazy, and I guess some people today still do when they consider what he said of himself, that he was mentally ill. Very similar to C.S. Lewis's statement, famous statement out of mere Christianity where G he said that Jesus, and this was his rationalization as a brilliant academic, he, he was either a liar or a lunatic or he was Lord. Those are the options that he himself came to in his journey toward faith in Jesus. You know, in terms of liar, you know, you, you, you think about that and you think about the possibility and then you look at the moral teaching of Jesus, which uh, unbelievers have called, particularly in reference to the Sermon on the Mount, the most exalted moral teaching ever written. And here's a man not only who was that focused on, on that sense of morality that was deep and profound and beautiful, he was also a man who called himself the truth and he was committed to truth. Is it likely that he was a liar? It's unlikely. That doesn't make any sense at all. And then the idea of lunatic, you know, similar to Barclay's statement of megalomania is, is this idea that, that Jesus was a lunatic. Um, and you know, there are crazy people still today who claim to be God and we know they're not. How would it have been different in that day when people heard Jesus say such things? Um, but again, look at the life of Jesus Christ and you'll end up realizing he was one of the most sane people you've ever read about. You know? It actually is hard to say that he was a lunatic when you read about his life. It just doesn't make sense. It's not logical. He was no crazy man. And what's left in the mind of C.S. Lewis is that he was Lord. That what he said about himself was true, that he was the Son of God coming to the earth to be the Savior of the world and Lord of all. Now I want to take you today to Matthew 16, and I hope we can find a response that's different than megalomania or lunacy or liar. <laughs> and I want to look at a, a time when Jesus had just said to his disciples, don't, you know, don't, don't embrace the yeast of the Pharisees. He's talking about don't let the teaching of the Pharisees sink into your mind. It was all about the legalism of the day, that it, that it is about you and, and me and not about God and his grace and what he has done for us in Jesus. No, it's you and your behavior that gains righteousness in the eyes of God. Jesus is saying, don't let it seep into your mind. Don't let it become part of your heart, certainly part of your faith experience. And then he comes to, uh, to uh, his, his disciples. And I'm going to read 13. I'm going to read these individually, 13 to 17, and make comment as I go. But verse 13 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
That's a really good question, huh? In Jesus' day, there were people saying different things. But he's saying, who do you, who, who, what's going on out there? Tell me about the different things that are being said of me. In verse 14, <clears throat> some replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There was a belief, for example, that Eli- in that day that Elijah was going to return to, to Israel. And, and they're saying, Jesus is Elijah. And others are saying, he's a, he's a prophet of some sort. And it's very much like our own day. A lot, of, a lot of people don't accept the claims of Jesus and are trying to slot him in some way that they see best. And then verse 14. But what about you? He asked. Oh, and here it is. Who do you say I am? Other people can think what they want. You know, other people can, can, can speculate and, and wonder. But that's the question, right? That's the incredible question. Who do you say that I am? I want to tell you, my friends, that's our critical question. We need to allow the question that Jesus asked his disciples then to be the question that he asks his disciples today. And I ask it of you on his behalf. Who do you say he, that he is? Because, you know, the answer to the question becomes something that, has on, that takes on great significance in our lives, depending on how we answer it. <coughs> Excuse me, if indeed he was the gate through whom we come into the kingdom of God. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Similar point. I mean, we better figure that out if we want to know God, if we want to be part of God's kingdom, part of God's family, know eternal life. You know, and, and if he was the shepherd who guides the sheep, my goodness, it's only he who's going to be able to, to guide our lives and speak into our lives by his still small voice and through his word. And if he was the vine, you know, the one who was to replace Israel, understood it in that day, to be the vine. And, and Jesus said, I am the vine, not Israel. The one who will show the glory of God, the one who will reveal the truth of God to this world, the one through whom salvation will come. That's a big deal. Whether we believe it or not, And if he was the bread of life, you know, if we would come to him and receive him, as he says in John 6, and eat his flesh and drink his blood, he says, if you will come to me and believe in me, you'll know eternal life, be satisfied in me. And if he was the light of the world, the one who helps us to see reality, like true reality, which is is the reality of God in this world. My goodness, he is either a crazy man or a liar or... He's one we desperately need in our lives. So as we finish, I guess, in a complete sense, this series, who do you say that he is? Well, Peter comes with an answer. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Messiah or Christ, depending on Hebrew or Greek, meaning anointed one. One sent from God, anointed by God with his Holy Spirit to bring salvation to save. It's a great answer. And then secondly, the son of the living God. The son of the living God. You know? God in the flesh. Co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Please get that right. God the Father is not more God than Jesus, and Jesus is not more God than the Holy Spirit. Together, in intimate fellowship, intimate union, communion, they, in this, this deep, profound relationship that we don't understand, they are one and they are God. 
And Jesus' comment then comes to us in response, verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. This knowledge, this this faith that Peter came to wasn't by any human natural means. It was by the supernatural action of God the Father by the work of the Holy Spirit leading Peter to come to this place of deep conviction about who Jesus was. Peter was right. He, you know, he, he often gets it wrong, the poor guy, right? You read the stories over and over and he's confused and he betrays and you know, he blusters. But here he's, he's on the mark. This is who Jesus was, the Messiah, sent from God to save and the son of the living God. You know, think about C.S. Lewis's words, liar, lunatic, or Lord. What explains this incredible man to you? What explains the incredible things that he did in your mind? What explains the incredible influence that he has had on world history? Which we reflected on a little bit on Christmas Eve. What's the answer to that? You know, all through our study of Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, there have been very, uh, very prominent responses, three of them. One is outright, outright disbelief, the Pharisees. They hated him for it. They literally tried to kill him when he made some of these claims. In the end, they did. Secondly, there is what I could best describe maybe as confusion. This is typical of the Gospel of John. People just not sure, you know? You know um, and then there are those who believe. People who believed without question, listen to me, were people who had experienced the presence, the power, the reality of Jesus at work in their lives. You know, as I wind down pastoral ministry here, I, I'm reflecting on a lot of different things, but you know, one of the greatest changes in my thinking theologically compared to 30.5 years ago when I started in ministry is that it is not a knowledge of the Bible that saves us, Hold on. Um, it's an experiential knowledge of Christ which saves us. Now, it always happens through Scripture, at a minimum. But it's the difference between knowing about something and knowing something experientially. We studied this a month ago or two, the idea of that Hebrew word yada. It's experiential knowledge. It's the difference between knowing somebody and having a deep experience of that person. See, intellectual faith, the knowledge of the facts, doesn't save anybody. Knowing Christ, the truth of what Scripture says about him, and then encountering him by the Holy Spirit, it is that which leads people in John into a living faith in him as the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Think about the woman at the well, John chapter 4. <clears throat> Jesus comes along and he initiates this discussion with the woman, and he actually then tells her things that he couldn't know about her other than through supernatural means. And it's at that point she believed in him. Think, think about John chapter 5, uh, the man uh, who was healed by the, by the pole. 38 years he had been unable to walk a lifetime. And along come Jesus and he heals him like that. And the man believes. See, it's not a knowledge of him. Oh, there's one out there who claims to be the Messiah. That doesn't save anybody in Jesus' day. But all of a sudden, this man is walking, having experienced the power of God in his life, and he is saved. Think about Bartimaeus, the man we spoke of uh, last week. A man, mine who had, a man who had been blind from birth, John chapter 9, and he has heard about Jesus. Otherwise, why would he call out to Jesus as Jesus walked by him and so insistently? 
And he eventually gets to Jesus, and Jesus heals him from blindness. He sees for the first time in his life. At first he's asked, who is this man? <clears throat> Again, by, by the Pharisees, the opponents of Jesus. And he said, well, he must be a prophet. He didn't know who Jesus was. And I'm going to read to you again, John 9, 35 to 38. And listen to, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Hey, there's another great question. It's the same thing that all of us have got to come to terms with. Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. See, where did faith settle into that man's soul? Having heard about him? No. Having experienced him and then, and then him being identified in the way that he was, it was then that this man came to a point of not only believing but worshipping Christ. Over and over and over again, it's the same thing. Head knowledge doesn't do it. Head knowledge plus an experience of Jesus does it. That's the work of the, whole, of the Father, and it is how the Father reveals to some of us indeed who Jesus is, the supernatural work of God's Spirit in us. You know, for the most part, people who grew up in the church, we hear about Jesus, but don't we need to encounter him in order to truly be transformed by him? and to believe in him with all of our hearts. So in a way, I want to stand here today and, and ask you the question, have you experienced Jesus? It's a different question, isn't it? All of us, if we were born into the church, we come and we have our parents tell us about Christ, and we have the church blessing and, and, and children's ministry, and we hear about Jesus, and we have to come to that place where we say, you know, this is just no longer the faith of my parents. It's not my faith. How do we get there? Is it the knowledge that we had three years prior that gets us there? No, it's the work of the Spirit of God within us that convinces us of who Jesus is. We encounter him. We experience him. And to reflect on these claims of Jesus, have you encountered eternal life? And that's, please, not again just going to heaven when you die. That's the experience of the eternal one right now where you experience God in your life in ways that are beautiful and wonderful. It pr provides an, a, a quality of existence that you didn't have before. Everything has changed because Jesus is with me. Have you heard the shepherd speak? That's going to stop there. Have you heard the shepherd speak? Whether it's on a Sunday morning through a minister, such as now, whether it's when you sit with the word of God in your hands and, and the spirit of God brings it to life whether it be in those times of prayer when you sit quietly in Jesus' presence in this still, small voice, again referencing Elijah, 1 Kings 19, is so clear and profound that you know that God is addressing your life. Have you learned to abide in him? John 15, I am the vine. Message version says, live in me. Uh, make your home in me as I have made my home in you. Is that something you're encountering so that when you come home to Jesus, you're experiencing that unity of love and relationship with him that brings you deep joy? And then as it goes on to say, you know, you know, if we will have his words abide in us and we abide in him, he will answer our prayers. Are you seeing, are you seeing prayers answered on a consistent, regular basis in your life? Is this a living reality or is that something experienced in some other people's lives but not mine? And is Jesus the bread of, of life so much so that he satisfies your soul like nothing else can? Are, are you there? Are you encountering this living, present Jesus? 
See, I guess what I'm saying is it can all be incredibly academic. I have biblical knowledge in my head. And that doesn't save us because that's that's biblical knowledge. But where we go from transition from head to heart is when we encounter the presence of Christ in our lives and faith is born in us. It's transformative at that point. You know, I was asked uh, recently if I ever doubted my faith. And um, I thought for a little while and uh, I said, you know, I used to. And I said, let me explain. Um, you know, like, there were, t- there were times when um, the thought would come into my mind, like, is this all really true? Just kind of a fleeting thought. You know? You know, am I, am I praying to the air? And I would have to sort of reorient myself. I'd have to remember what I knew, the truth of Scripture, the experiences I had of Christ, and so on. So it would, it would be fleeting, but I said, of course I believe. It's all true. Of course it's true. But my answer in that <clears throat> conversation <clears throat> in the end was to tell you the truth. No, I don't doubt at all. And, and what I said is that I have experienced Jesus so much it would not make any sense at all in my mind to doubt that he was real. I couldn't doubt it. I can't doubt it. It's harder to say that Jesus was not who he claimed to be than to actually agree with his claims because I have experienced him. And I guess what I, I would tell you as I stand here right now, I think if I hadn't experienced Jesus profoundly and repeatedly, I'm not sure if I would believe in him. I mean, anybody can read the book you know, and say, oh yeah, I agree, yeah, it makes sense, I understand. But this quality of living, this experience of Christ is transformative. This, this, this encountering of Jesus in the ways that he has, he has revealed himself to us, it takes us to a different place. So my question to you is, where are you at with this Jesus? Where are you at with him? You know, there could be people listening to me, again, either here or at home. Um, and they're in that category of disbelief. Well, I would just say to you, take the time to look into it. Start the journey. It starts with just gaining the basic knowledge of him. Read the books that you can read about Jesus, which are numerous. And start to consider the possibility that his claims are actually true. And if you're confused or unsure, again, referencing those three categories that I described from the Gospel of John, here's what I would suggest to you. Ask Jesus to prove himself to you. Ask Jesus to prove himself to you. And you know what? If indeed it is in the Father's will, he will do that. But I want to speak most profoundly and and, and in a focused way today to those who believe because my guess is that most people here do. What I want to suggest in response to this whole idea of who do people say that I am, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, can I encourage everyone here to delve further into life with Jesus? See, we're all on a journey. We sang a song about the journey. Isn't that a great song? And some of us are at the front of the journey in terms of our experience of Christ and our maturity in him and our belief in him and so forth. We might, we might have been in the church 80 years, but we might still be at the front of the journey. And other ones are farther along in the journey and some of us are mature in the journey, right? It's just the way it is. 
But all of us can delve more deeply into the life that Jesus calls us to. So, he says he's the shepherd of the, of the sheep. I guess my question for you is, in what ways can you go deeper into that reality? He wants to lead your life in intimate detail. And he will speak into your life in order to communicate to you what he wishes you to do. He's the shepherd and he leads the sheep. And we are to follow after him. If you can't hear the voice of the shepherd, you don't know what to do. You're just like a sheep that, you know, like herding cats. <laughs> You're all over the place. And you, you know, the, the Lord has this desire for your life and he wants to lead you into life. This dynamic experience of him accomplishing his purposes, finding fulfillment in him. But you've got to hear the voice. You've got to learn to discern what it means. And it's through scripture and through, it's through that still small voice. We come to that place where we hear his voice. And then secondly, and even more importantly, it is then that we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to do what Jesus is leading me into? Am I willing to follow him? Because sometimes, you know, when he speaks, we don't want to do what he says. You know that, right? Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's not what we want. But Jesus said, if you want to know life, you'll follow me because I'm the shepherd and I'm going to lead you into it. Are you hearing the voice of God? And then more importantly, when you have decisions to make, whether they be big or little, are you going to the shepherd and saying, Lord, what, where do you want me to go with this? Now, I want to tell you, even though it might not make sense in the moment, as is always the case, you look back after the fact and you go, you know what? That couldn't have been better. That was right and good. As you see the blessings unfold in your life and the lives of many others. You know about this idea about the vine. Um... Have you learned to abide in him? You know, a lot of us go to scripture and prayer when, when we do, and it's, you know, I'm going to learn something. That's the intellectual knowledge as opposed to allow the Spirit of God to speak to me through scripture and to lead me. And then I pray, which essentially means I'm going to ask Jesus for things. I'm going to pray in his name because I need stuff. <laughs> And, that, and in a sense, that's abiding in him, but there's a whole level of depth that needs to be discovered for those who haven't gone beyond that. And what it comes to is that you get to that place where you enter into the presence of Jesus, and yes, you read scripture, of course you do, and, and of course you have that opportunity to pray, but in the end of the day, you are with him, and you're with him in silence, because, and you're finding incredible joy in his presence just because you're with him. You find joy just because you're with him. Experiencing him by the Spirit of God in love. And then those answered, answered prayers. You know, my friends, if you're at a point in your life where you only see God answer prayer on the rare occasion, don't be satisfied with that. Because that living Lord Jesus has promised if, the, if you abide in him, he will answer your prayers. And he'll do it again and again and again and again. And he will blow you away with the answered prayers that he brings. <laughs> and even that in itself will profoundly deepen your faith in him and your love for him. And Jesus is the bread of life. Have you truly learned that our souls are satisfied in Jesus alone? You know... <laughs> It, this, is, this, is, this takes time and this takes experience with Christ and this takes, you know, the work of God in us. But we can come to that place where we recognize that Jesus is everything. 
And all these things that the world offers to us that so often Christians run after and we think that's life and I'm going to find life there. No, I'm going to, this is what life is really all about. They begin to fade into insignificance because we know that we only will be satisfied in the depth of our soul through the person and experience of Jesus. That old hymn, the things of earth will go, grow faintly dim in the light of his glory and grace. And you know what happens when we get to that place? We literally stop running after all of those things because we know they do not satisfy. Oh, you might feel good for a while. You get a new vehicle or you buy a new house or you buy that piece of clothing or, you know, whatever. All the idols of the world, you know, you find popularity and approval of, of men and women. But when you have encountered the reality of Jesus in that deep, profound way, you stop chasing those things because you know they don't satisfy your soul. They're not important anymore. And the only way you're going to know that the bread <laughs> is that which is going to fill your belly is only by eating the bread, by encountering Jesus. And then the light of the world, you know. Everybody to a degree in this room, including myself, still needs to see more. Remember we talked about the light of the world. The, I don't know if I quoted in, in both services, but Second Corinthians 4 says the, the, uh, the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep us to see, from seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. And, and the whole journey of faith is this slow unveiling of the truth as, as the light shines in greater and greater and greater measure so that we see reality as it is. From God's perspective. I'm going to tell you, everybody here, to some degree, needs to see light further. That includes me. It never stops. And as we dig into Scripture, as we live in it and we believe it, and as Jesus speaks his truth into our minds, and as we encounter him, my goodness, we see life differently. Final verse this morning. I'm just going to reference it. <clears throat> it's in, in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, in the, uh, the, the, the Greek, it, it just literally as it says, Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Find. Um, knock and keep on knocking. Are you an asker, seeker, finder? Uh, knocker? <laughs> Sorry. Are you one that continues to delve more deeply and more profoundly into the reality of God? You see, I just hope and I pray with all my heart that the people of IPC will never be satisfied with living on the surface of faith because there's the depth to this thing that is transformative as we encounter Christ by his spirit, as we hear him in his word, as we experience him in our lives. And I want to tell you, if indeed we embrace everything Jesus said to be about himself, it will transform who we are, how we live, and what we believe. Not necessarily in that order, <laughs> how we believe and how we then live. So, can I encourage you to ask? I don't know how God has spoken to you today, but whatever it is, I, I kind of hope that you've got a hunger for something out of all of these elements. Ask him for more. Ask him to lead you to that place where you can ask and you receive, like, all the time. It just keeps on happening. Ask that he opens your eyes to see more. Ask that he, he shows you that he and nothing else is, is, the, is the thing to live for so that your soul is satisfied in him. Ask him for it and keep on asking. What is it that you are seeking for in life? 
Seek this life out. Seek this experience of Jesus out. And if you don't know it, you know, say, Lord Jesus, I'm looking. I'm seeking. I want it. Lead me into it. And knock, my friends, and the door will open because Jesus promised it would. guess in the end of the day, the question becomes, <laughs> am I satisfied with where I'm at with Jesus? And you know what my answer is for me? No. Because there's always more. There is. And it's remarkable. And it is good. And it's an amazing thing to encounter him in deeper and different ways. My friends, I come to you with the question that Peter and the disciples were asked of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? I trust that Jesus is the one you have encountered time and again. The one in whom you have been saved. The one through whom you are experiencing eternal life in these terms which I have described today. Never be satisfied with less. Always look for more of him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to know more of you. We want to experience more of you. We want, we want to take hold of everything that you have for us. Lord Jesus, you died on the cross so that our sin might be forgiven. And how we praise you for it. You came to this earth as a child because you knew we had incredible need and that we individually and as a world needed a savior and thus you did die and lord once we get in through the gate once we enter into the family of god once we come to that place of faith so that we become yours lord, that's not the end but it's the beginning of an adventure of a remarkable experience in an ongoing way of encountering you Lord, I pray for all who are listening today, all who are here, all who might be listening um, online. I pray that you will give them a hunger for you, a hunger and a thirst for more of you, Lord Jesus, so that their lives can be transformed by your presence and by the work of your Spirit within them. Lord, I pray that there be no one listening to me who just knows about you, intellectually, academically, and somehow gives a mental assent to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. God, I pray that you would take them beyond that and through that into an experience of you. Just as that <clears throat> blind man was introduced to you, it became clear to him who, who you were, Lord. I pray that it would become clear to everyone here that you are the Messiah, anointed of God for their lives, for their salvation. The Son of God the living God who came and walked among us 2,000 years ago, but the living God who dwells in our hearts now by his spirit, ready to, to lead us into greater and deeper understanding of what it means to know eternal life. So Holy Spirit of God, we would pray that you would be at work in us. We're asking for it now in new ways. Every single one of us, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something new in us to help us to see and under understand what it means to follow Jesus. Lord, we're seeking this because we want more of you. 
We're knocking on the door, Lord, trusting that that door will open and that we'll be able to walk through it under a greater expression of life with you. Lord, what an opportunity we have to live in relationship with you, to follow after the shepherd, you know, to abide in you day in and day out and to know that incredible joy to see the prayers answered and all these various realities that you long for us to know. Lord, reveal yourself to us and guide us anew that we might take hold of everything that we might know in you. Lord Jesus, help us to experience you in life-transforming ways. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.